I've seen a lot of miracles in my life, and his handiwork over us and his, his moving circumstances and moving people and situations is sometimes so compelling and overwhelming that you just have nothing to do but just say thank you, God, for who you are and what you do. A few years ago, I was just thinking of one story that is, was so riveting for me. I was out on a, a lake. My family and I had been invited to speak for a camp meeting in the United States, and uh, we were paddling a canoe around this lake and enjoying it. Our children were just this cuddly five-year-old size, you know, and they were enjoying all this. And they're like, Daddy, we want to paddle. We want to paddle, too. And so I sat way back up on the back of the canoe and let them uh, try to paddle, you know. And about We'd been out there for about an hour, quite a big lake, and uh, suddenly the clouds started rolling in, and then there was lightning, and it started to rain. And it was raining pretty hard. So I was like, boys, we got to get in. And so I sat in the main paddling spot and started to paddle for all I was worth. The kids jumped out of the boat. My wife was in the boat. She ran with the, the boys. And I was just pulling the canoe up on shore when I started to feel my pockets. And I realized my wallet is gone. And... I had thought, particularly before getting in the canoe, should I leave my wallet on the shore or should I take it with me? And I thought, no, I'll just take it with me. And I realized that I had, it had dropped out in the middle of this lake somewhere. Now the rain was just coming down, lightning, and you know, for, I, I could have just left that and been done with it except for one thing, and that was from that camp meeting, we were going to fly to Alaska and meet my parents for their 50th wedding anniversary. And in my wallet was my only form of ID, which meant basically that I was in big trouble. <laughs> it was a major disaster. And so I just, I, I told the guy there, he was under like a shack, I said, I got to get another boat and go back out there. He's what? you're crazy. He says, you're going to get struck by light. I said, I got to go. And so I grabbed a kayak and I just started going out there and I was praying, you know, I was like, oh God, please help me. I'm such an idiot. How could I do this? And, uh, you know, it was like such a, a lack of faith type of prayer. And uh, I was like, oh, how could this ever happen? And I'm, I'm paddling. And suddenly I was just struck with the thought in my mind, you are not going to get any results with this kind of praying. <laughs> and I, I was just filled with emotion, and I called out with all of my heart, Oh God in heaven, you who raised the dead, Jesus, you healed the blind, you raised lepers, gave lepers their skin back and gave cripples their legs. I said, Jesus, I need your help. Bring me to that wallet or let that wallet come to me. I'm in a big lake and we traveled probably a mile out there. The rain is coming down and I started to paddle just with tears streaming down my cheeks. Jesus, help me. And no less than 30 seconds later, 
I see this little black fin on the water. Now the wind is blowing, and I mean there's waves on this thing, and I see this like black fin. And so I paddle over to this thing, and there in the, in the water, I can see my wallet hanging down. Money is literally hanging out of the wallet. It's surreal. I can't even believe what I'm seeing. And I could just imagine me getting close to that thing and then suddenly <laughs> it just like disappeared. I'm like, come to me. I put my hands down under the water and I lift it out. And I just said, hallelujah. It was a total miracle. Like when, you know, the, the axe head floated. And I paddled back to shore. God is amazing. That's amazing. Well, I hope that uh, he does some good for you. And he does it for me all the time. I tell you, that night at camp meeting, I told that story, and I put all, I had $60 in the wallet. All of them were sopping wet still, and I just put them in the plate. I said, take it, Jesus, take it. I don't need it. So, yeah, I kept, the, kept the, the driver's license. So, I want us to turn tonight to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. Last night I told a lot of stories. Tonight we're just going to really press into the Bible. The book of Psalms. And look at Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? That's a very pertinent question, isn't it? Who? I want to live in that sanctuary. I want to live on his holy hill. This is Psalm 15, verse 1. Now, you know, when it's talking about the sanctuary, it's not talking about Solomon's temple. It hadn't been built yet. This is David. It's not talking about the wilderness tabernacle. He's saying, who can live there? He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the throne of God, that someday, who can live there where the myriads of angels are in the grand palace of the king of the universe? And he gives this answer. Verse 2, He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, has no slander in his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That chapter at different times and different seasons of life can be a real discouragement because I am not the blameless and I'm not that righteous God. Now the Bible talks about righteous men and there was righteous Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, a different man in the season of time where all the earth was about to be destroyed. There was a time where it talks about a righteous Abraham and the righteous Job. God saw these men and he pointed them out, even boasting to Satan about Job's righteousness. But sometimes I don't feel like that righteous man. I give you this talk tonight because I think all of us as people of faith, there are seasons in time where Satan wants to bring a cloud of doubt that's so heavy over our minds that we find ourselves in despair and we say, I'm never going to make it to that sanctuary in heaven. 
Though it's going to be there, and I believe it with all my heart that it's there, I can't see myself standing in the midst of those angels anymore. It's those times. Last night, what did we talk about? Conviction. Conviction. Tonight, I want to talk about disrupting the fiction. Because there is a fiction that Satan would like to paint in your mind, which says, you ain't going to make it. The distance between your life and the holiness of God is just too vast. Have you ever felt that way? God comes in and he wants to disrupt that fiction. And I love how he does it. We're going to look at a few characters in the Bible. Look at, look at Jacob. Turn to Genesis chapter 28. You see, Jacob had done some trickery. He had come up with this idea that he was really in a blessed family and he deserved the blessing and he was going to do some things to manipulate situations so that that blessing was sure to come to him, right? And now he found himself in a house of tension. He's at odds with his dad. He put this uh, goat skin on him and pretended to be his brother and now he's at odds with his brother. His mom and his father are at odds because of creating this situation and there's real stress in the home and so Jacob decides I got to get out of here actually at his mother's suggestion I got to get out of here and so he packs up his things and he heads out and God comes to him at nighttime now there's a fiction in his mind it's a lie of Satan which says you are going to be a trickster your whole life. You're going to be fleeing all your life. Your whole future is marred, and there's no way to really rearrange these things. And look what happens here in chapter 28 of Genesis, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, this is recorded much later, but the fact that we know he used a stone for a pillow mm-hmm. is very interesting. Mm-hmm. This was a hard night for him <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> one time I slept in an elevator shaft in Japan on the ground, and the elevator continued to reset every 15 minutes. <laughs> like this. So I got up and headed out into the cold and slept on a park bench. It was a hard night in many ways. But for Jacob, it was hard in different ways because all of this fiction of who he was, that was saying, you're unworthy, Jacob. Your grandpa was Abraham, man of faith, and look at you. You're running away, rehearsing these things. And as he laid there, look what happens in verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, the sanctuary. Who can dwell in your sanctuary? And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Mm. 
This is it, friends. The Lord is in the midst of your life and you're not aware of it. Don't forget, the Lord is with you. He is by your side. And when times look tough and the job situation is not what it ought and the family situation is not what it ought, know this, the Lord is on your side. He is more committed to you than you are to him. And he gives these promises to Jacob, basically saying, you may be faithless, but I am faithful. I was just at a large mission conference in Thailand where we had all of our frontier missionaries, and these are some folks very committed, going to the places where there is no church, there is no Adventist support. They never hear singing. Why? Because they themselves must sing. There is no congregation there to sing with. You know what that's like, Mindy? One of the missionaries there who was giving his testimony was telling about his own struggles and how he and his wife were fighting one day and they were just having a real trouble in their heart. They'd gone through depression and burnout and they were saying, here we are fighting and shouting at one another. People who fight and shout like this are going to hell and we don't even believe in hell. <laughs> Very candid, you know, uh, testimony. You know, we get to this point sometime. And we need to know God is close. He's with us. And he helps us through our times of discouragement and pain. Turn for a moment to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4 tracks the life of Abraham. And it says this, What then, verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Verse 2, If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Psalm 15 say that we need in order to get into the sanctuary of heaven? Righteousness. righteousness. But where are we going to get that righteousness? It's credited to us. It's credited to us. It's not of our own. If it was of our own, then we'd really have something to boast of, but not before God. We may be able to tell our friends, hey, I'm really good. But God doesn't want to hear about that because he's got somebody else that he boasts about. He boasts about Jesus. Amen. He wants to hear the glory of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done in your life. Lean on Christ. But look at verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now this is a most amazing verse. Amen. Do you see what it says there? God who justifies the ungodly? This is most unusual. For What is God but justice? God is complete justice, and he justifies the ungodly. How is this possible? What it does for us is it opens a massive door of possibility of salvation. And if God justifies the ungodly, couldn't I qualify? Amen. Couldn't you qualify? And if you qualify as the ungodly, then step into the door and say, God, I want that justification that you give to the very type of person that needs it. It says in the Bible, while we were yet sinners, Christ died, right? Christ died for us. In the very next chapter here, in verse 6, 
You see, at just the right time, chapter 5 and verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is where we disrupt the fiction. Because Satan wants to discourage us and say, you're not good enough to get into heaven. And you can just step forward and say, Satan, that's what qualifies me for heaven. It qualifies me. My being a sinner is the very thing that qualifies me for the grace of of the Lord. You know, I told you last night that two days ago, now it's three days, I was on the phone with a demon. That demon was shouting and hissing. And I mean, this man, the demon had a name. He was speaking against the guy who I was working with, saying, I will hold this man a prisoner. This is the first time I've actually spoken with a demon. I've seen a lot of demonic activity, but this is the first time I've actually heard a demon voice. You know what that demon's effort was? I was on the phone with him for about 20 minutes. His whole effort was to discourage me. I was the guy who was going to evict him from his house. And so at that moment, his whole thought was, I have to discourage this man. And so as I was reading scripture, sometimes he would say, oh, that's so boring what you're reading. And as I hesitated, I I came to a point where I I was quoting a scripture and, and I hesitated because I couldn't remember exactly. I said, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, and I hesitated, because I know it says, though he die, he shall live. And you know what the demon said? Oh, you hesitated. Do you not believe that? You see, Satan fell from the sanctuary in heaven. He does not want us to arrive there. And what he wants to do is bring us down. He wants to bring us into a hopeless situation. But the Bible is so filled with hope that if we talk about what Jesus came for, that Jesus' whole purpose is the king of the universe to come as an infant babe was for your and I salvation, that he came to save sinners. He came to save people who are godless like you and me. Hallelujah. Keep our minds focused on that and tell that. Because that's the very thing that your Muslim brothers and sisters need to know. It's the very thing that that your Hindu and Buddhist friends need to know. Because everyone gets some kind of of doubt. In fact, when I was just in Thailand recently, they have a huge wall of hell. Person's going to go from a cold hell to a hot hell. They're going to go from the hot hell to a beating hell. And they have it all pictured out and mapped out because everybody who dies first before they are reincarnated into a cow or a snake or a, a dog, they got to go through some hell. What a hopeless existence. Hallelujah. Jesus gives us a different path. And so it was, Jacob had this fiction in his mind, and Jesus came and disrupted that, and he said, let me show you a ladder, brother. It goes from the ground, from your head, all the way up to heaven. And there are angels descending and ascending on that. And Jesus broke that out in his own exegetical fashion. Turn to John chapter chapter 1. Jesus comes, and there is he's calling... uh, his disciple, Nathaniel. He sees Nathaniel praying under this fig tree, and in verse 49, 
Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You <laughs> shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, the Son of Man is our ladder to ascend to the throne of God. I want to be at that throne. You want to be at that throne. we got to ascend on Jesus. We ascend by His blood, by His stripes, by His torture on Calvary. These are rungs on the ladder. And as we come and we look at Christ, as clear as it was said when the serpent was lifted on the pole, look and live. That's it. Look at Jesus. And we got life. It's ours. He gives us that guarantee. I like how in the story of Job, Job, a righteous man, is tormented in his lifetime. His children are killed. His flocks are taken away. His wealth is taken away. His health is taken away. He's really in a terrible situation. The only thing Satan leaves is his wife, which then begins to torment him, right? I mean, man, if you had a little mercy, take the wife away, you know? But no, uh, Satan says, I'm going to leave her and she can, you know, be my helper in this situation. And so, so there's Job. And now even God has to disrupt his fiction because Job is relaying a storyline to his friends. I've led a righteous life. I've led a righteous life. And he's repeating what worth he has of being such a good man. It even says in chapter 21 how he helped the poor and as, as the people were in need, he would go and take food to the widow. And as he would walk through the streets, the old men would rise because they knew him as such a virtuous man. Job's repeating this about his own goodness. And what does God do? He comes and disrupts the fiction. And God says, stop, Job, that's enough. Let me tell you about myself. <laughs> and then God tells of his grandeur and his power. And sometimes we all need to be interrupted. And God knows how to do it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. How is that righteousness achieved? By being in Christ each and every day. Just place yourself in Christ. And God then counts His righteousness as our righteousness. Amen. That's the good news. In this chapter of chapter 5, He actually says, look at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's really what you're doing as tent makers. You have been put back together with God, and now you're going about putting other people back together with God. Because now God lives in you, you can invite people. Well, God can live in you too. And you can be put to reconcile with the Lord. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Amen. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is what we must proclaim, brothers and sisters. 
the Sabbath and the state of the dead, these are accessory information. What we are bound to tell is that God has made a way. He has made a bridge back to heaven. And that we can step into heaven with confidence. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Get onto the ladder where the angels are ascending and descending. That's what we've got to tell people. The, the way has been made. It's been opened. Jesus' side pierced. Jesus' head bleeding. Crown of thorns. Jesus, the second Adam. You know, the first Adam had his side pierced as well. And from that came a woman. Jesus' side pierced. And from that comes the church. It's from there that the woman, the bride of Christ, is created. And as we go to the cross, we find there the power. We find there the hope that we need for daily living. Amen. So, I want to invite you to disrupt the fiction. If Satan is playing or rehearsing any storyline in your head, to repeat these words, God justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. Let's say it again louder. God justifies the ungodly. Not because you are good, but because He is good. You don't have to say these words now, but you can say them over and over in your time of need. You see, forgiveness is for the guilty. Do we need forgiveness? It's, it's for people like us that we need it. Salvation comes to us before we have any of the results of salvation. So if we said, well, I don't have any sense of goodness in me. Well, salvation's already been provided for people just like that. Jesus has no gospel for the self-righteous. Self-righteous are delusional. Think about that for a moment. If we think that we're good enough to arrive somehow on our merit because of what we've done or what we are, we're really delusional. God has said all of us are corrupt, and in us there is no goodness. Turn back to Psalms chapter 14. Yeah, somebody's got that memorized even. Wow. It says, Psalm 14 and verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, but all have turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so we could find ourselves in despair over that, but no, we do not. For chapter 16 tells us that there is a righteousness from heaven. Look at chapter 16 and verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Where are we supposed to be? In Christ, right? For in you I take refuge. In Christ. And so when Christ died on that cross, where were you? In Christ. You wages of your sins have been paid on the cross. In Christ. Were you there? Yes, find yourself there. And when Jesus rose from the tomb, where were you? In Christ. Where are you? In Christ. In Christ. Exiting the tomb. Raised to life in newness of life. This happens by faith, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. And so I finish with just a reading of Psalm 16. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones whom is in all my delight. The sorrows of these, those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Verse 5, 
Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Can we say hallelujah? Amen. 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 Verse 11. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Friends, that's where God wants us, is at His right hand. It's given as a promise to one of the seven churches. That's where I lived in Turkey, right among the seven churches in Smyrna. It says, you will sit at my right hand. Do you believe it? It's coming, friends. Let's invite more and more people into this wonderful grace that God has provided for us. Amen. Let's stand for prayer, shall we? Jesus, you are magnificent. We value your immense gift of your life, the risk that you put yourself on the line, died for each one of us, and you rose to life that we can live forever. Jesus, when we are tormented with thoughts of self-doubt, like Jacob, Moses, like David, like all who have gone before, Peter, as he post-cross went out fishing and Jesus had to come to him and said, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. Lord, let us remember that you have grace and abundance for us, that you've justified us, and you have a calling and a mission for each one of us. We take joy in that, Lord. Pray for your continued blessing now as we enter the Sabbath day that we could worship you full zeal and pleasure of your company. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.